You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Welcome to the Essential Apple Podcast, your home for news, views, security stories, technology, and all sorts of other related chit-chat that catches our attention. Hello listeners and welcome to this edition of The Essential Apple. Um, <clears throat> we're a little short on contributors this week at the moment. Uh, Steve from Geek's Corner has got te ill and is in bed sick. So uh, get back soon, Steve. Um, Jim uh, has declined to come on today because he has roadmen digging up the road outside his house and apparently his whole house is shaking so madly that the cups are rattling in the cupboards. So uh, he thought it might be best not to come on. <laughs> uh, so you don't have to listen to pneumatic drills and all the rest. Um, but uh, Mark is here. Hello, Mark. Welcome back again. Hello. Hello, Simon. Yes, good to be back. You always know it's a bit desperate when you've got me back on the show. <laughs> it's not desperate at all. We ask you most weeks, and when you're free, you come on. That's uh, that's how it works. Uh, Nick might join us. He's on his uh, Sunday afternoon family chat, FaceTime or Zoom or whatever it is his, uh, his family use. So uh, he might join us in a while if, he, if he's free, if they're done. And if not, it'll just be me and Mark. So... Um, I've got a few stories, but of course, as you might guess, they pretty much all revolve around WWDC. I've got a few that don't. Um, Mark and I were talking before we started, and uh, rather than try and recap the whole thing, which is rather pointless, um, we thought we'd just pick out, you know, odds and sods that either we thought were um, exciting or interesting, and maybe a few bits that uh, were not of great interest to us. Not that, uh, you know, we are the arbiters of what is good and what is not. Uh, as I said before the show, one man's meat is another man's poison. Something that uh, I find utterly uninteresting may be the greatest feature announced for somebody else. So there you go. So you're just going to get our personal views, really. Um, if you haven't either listened to the WWDC in full or you uh, fancy a quick recap without slogging through the whole, um, what was it, one hour 45 or something? Close to that, anyway. Yeah. It um, felt longer than that in points, I've got to say. It was, at some points, that was a little bit of, I, I think I actually dozed off at one point. <laughs> Well, there you go. We can talk about that in a second. But if you want a 25-minute recap, uh, Steve at Geek's Corner, uh, link in the show notes, has done a WWDC 21 in under 25 minutes, a kind of supercut, uh, as they like to call it, of the uh, of the show. So not him talking about it, but uh, the you know the actual keynote with a lot of the superfluous stuff cut out. So just the key points, uh, and you can find that at uh, Geeks Corner Geeks on Anchor, I think. Anyway, link in the show notes if you're interested. And uh, I will just mention, if you are listening via uh, the Apple Podcast app, apparently it is still not rendering links properly unless you uh, put them in, in, you know, the full HTTP colon slash slash malarkey. 
Um, so the normal, you know, link here isn't working. So if you want the uh, look at the show notes, I suggest you head over to the website to uh, get the full, you know, the full clickable link show notes. Or, of course, change to another podcast app. Always, uh, you know, an option. Podcast, uh, Pocket Casts or Overcast or one of many others, of course. Um, there you go. So, um... Just for those who don't know, that intro is titled Summer's Here, and I have picked that this week because the sun is blazing here in Suffolk. It's about 28 degrees outside, I think. So uh, I'm sheltering, you know, indoors with the fan on because I don't like the heat that much. When I was younger, it was brilliant. Oh, now, don't, don't be I one roast, of those. I'm, I roast. I'm, I'm at that age where I make the most of it. Now I go out when it's not at the highest because I'm of the gin persuasion. So I can go out for about 20 minutes, and then that is it. That is summer for me. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'm, you know, that's not quite me, I admit, but um, the full blazing sun, I'm afraid I've, you know, retreated to the mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun uh, kind of version. I like it when it's warm enough to sit outside at the pub in a T-shirt and drink your beer. If it's so hot you're sweating, then uh, no, too much for me. Thank you very much. But there you go. It's a, a lovely, blazing hot day here. I can smell people's barbecues wafting in from the, you know, over the fences. So, you know, I'm sure everybody's having a lovely time. Uh, I'm and... getting hungry now. <laughs> so, uh, well, well, I guess we'll, we'll kick off, Mark. Um, I've got a whole load of... Links in the show notes for people. We're not going to pick through them all, but, you know, we might mention some directly. But uh, let's kick off, Mark. What did you think of the whole thing overall? It's... Uh, every time they do this sort of presentation style, I think they're lo- it's becoming too mechanical. Does that make any sense? It's losing a bit of its flow, a bit of its funness. Although, saying I'm going to contradict myself straight away, how good was it to see Craig Federighi back up on the stage and do what he does he's you really do feel he is a part of the linchpin um through Apple and also good to see some new faces even though if I'm not entirely sure about the politics of it all but yeah it was okay just at some point it just felt like it was just dragging and a bit too rehearsed and a bit too monotone at times I'd like to see a little bit more instead of the presenters just walking up walking back walking back up and then obviously stopping at a, you know, a predefined queue. I'd like to see it be a little bit more organic, if possible, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of get that. You do miss that, I guess, from the live thing, but then you also don't miss the sort of 30 seconds as the guy takes the long walk from the wings to the centre stage with everybody applauding. Um, I like that, though. I think that gives a bit of a it gives a bit of a breathing room. And if you think about it, they're doing the same anyway with all the cutaways, you know, when they do those transitions and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Um, you know, I think it's I think they're still doing quite good. I mean, I I know it was a little bit twee, but I did like the whole kind of, you know, the crowd of memojis. Um, I I think that slightly was a nod to that because you had you know, Tim walking out on the stage to applause and, you know, welcome you all here to WWDC 21. And then there's, a you know, an auditorium full of Mimoji, which was um, which was quite amusing. Although I didn't... Yeah, I, that, I that was, yeah. Um, I think they tried to it, inject it, some... it did look a little bit... Although Tim Cook trying to look... Tim doesn't strike me as a guy who would be talking to people using a boatload of emojis. So I don't know if he was particularly the 
uh, if he should in the face of that little bit, to be honest. But yeah, there were some nice touches. And it was also nice um, foreboding of about what was to come with all the sharing features and the watch log features with iOS. Yes, yes. There was, you know, I, I think that might have been, you know, a subtle undertone there. I wasn't struck with the intro video this year, though. The whole kind of, um, you know, how about this as an intro? I, I know it was meant to be funny and a bit of a gag, but, you know, bug the musical. Yeah, and... it's... <laughs> I know they were going for kind of amusing, you know, with the fake Tim and the fake Craig. And um, I thought it was a little over long. Perhaps that was where it went long, you know, went wrong for me. But there's a definite feel that whoever they used to have doing the marketing stuff, that team has changed. And it's almost a team that's saying, oh, look, we can we can be edgy and we can be cool as well. Here's our idea. You know, I don't. I'm not going to rag on it and say it was terrible because it wasn't terrible. Just for me, it was, I think the idea was sound, but it went on a little bit too long, I think was the thing for me. Yeah. But, um, you know, because you're impatient at that point. I think you like a nice little video to introduce it. Um, Yeah. You know, whatever, whatever. It was, in a, you know, it was a throwaway kind of gag, really, I think. But yeah. um, there we are. So you got to lead on. You got to lead on this because I can't remember in what order things went. I think with iOS, it was definitely a. Are we going to call it the COVID edition? Because it seemed to be uh, more feature enhancements than actual anything. I'm going to hesitate to say this because I'm forgetting a load of things. They then major enhancements. I do like some of the uh, the messaging features, like watch along. I can see kids rinsing through their data using that. I don't know. <laughs> I think that was, um, if I remember correctly, many years ago, it's an extension of Replay Kit because Apple were trying to sort of like say, hey, you can have games and you can stream them if you use our Replay Kit um, SDK or API, which I think only two or three games have actually used. So it's nice to see that being taken to its next level. Uh, all the good mimosas. Um what about you on the old iOS 15? I thought it was a solid move forward. I think a lot of people had some sort of fairly wild expectations about it being another revolutionary jump, and I didn't expect that. So maybe I wasn't as disappointed as some people. Also, of course, I'm not an iPad user. Um, we'll yeah, get we'll, to that. We'll, we'll come get on to, that to the whole. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the. The, the sort of watch with me and listen with me kind of uh, features don't really do anything for me personally. So that bit was a little bit, you know, they made a lot of it and I can see why, but I found that bit beginning to be, yeah, okay, I get it. You can, you know, you can share with your friends. Um, fine, you know, enough, enough now, Craig. Thank you. I get, I get the picture. <laughs> um one thing and that you has... also got the group FaceTime as well, which was also... yes. Oh, now that was good. A lot, but isn't that a little bit too late now as we're coming out the old pandemic sort of thing? It's like <sighs> I don't know. I think the pandemic really caught Apple on the hop then in Zoom as well. Yes, I think. I mean, the the gallery view, you know, the grid view, not you know, not revolutionary. Something everybody else has been doing. But if you remember when FaceTime went multi user you know you could have a, a group facetime call because forever it was one-to-one -one only they had that weird thing with the heads popping up and people bouncing around the screen which was the sort of thing that looked cool on demo and was a nightmare in real life um 
So I think the introduction of a gallery view was necessary if rather stayed, um, but a good feature. It, it's, it's very much one of those features of where we've been like just sat there tapping our fingers on the table and they've gone, this time at WWDC they'll do it, this time at WWDC will do it, and then you basically realise that it's never going to happen and try to move on with other things. Um, but I suppose the biggest thing with FaceTime is the Androids can now have access to it. Um, well, it's via the web. Isn't it? Anyone can join via the links that are now available through their browser. So, um, it, it, again, well, it's, you a know. feature that you sort of wish had happened last year, but yes. maybe there was some reason that, that yes. it didn't. I, but, um, yeah. I, uh, well, I think... Any other... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, I think one of the biggest features, which possibly almost overlooked, was the, um, you know, my voice, basically ambient noise reduction, um, and the wide spectrum. Which is basically no filtering versus turning on filtering and noise yes. gates and stuff like that. Yes, yeah. but um, I, I think that's a great, a great option. You know, um, people like us... Not something we really think about because, it, you know, on Zoom calls or whatever, I usually would use my laptop and therefore I'm feeding my audio through Audio Hijack. So I've got a noise gate and an ambient noise reduction and, and you know, blah, blah, blah. But that's, no, that's not your common user, is it? Your common user is no. probably using their iPad propped up on the desk or their iPhone, you know, maybe on a holder if you're lucky. Um, and I guess this will also apply to your. Uh, you know, your um, Mac built-in, quote-unquote, studio mics. No, a, a, a good feature, a, a very good feature, I thought. Yeah, yeah. It, although it, it, it just all very nice, just feels like, well, maybe a little bit of missing the boat here. But I think what they've tacked onto it is oh, yeah, obviously any improvement is going to be, uh, be good. Uh, what else was there to sort of think about? Um, the, what was it, that live text, that live text thing? Oh, yeah, the now, live text. Now, that's, that's, yeah. that's slick. Um, we've kind of seen similar stuff mentioned before. Um, by the way, um, we've got some links uh, further down about what is and isn't supported on various Macs. I think you'll find the yeah, live we'll, we'll text. The... the live text requires an M1 Mac. It will work on um, iOS. I was going to say we're going to we'll save that. Yeah, but because um... there is there is a bit of a wasn't there a thing that basically all of these features that are on the iPhone are now available. I think, I don't know if I got this right. It was, it was a very throwaway comment where they said, and of course, because all, because all of this is built in Swift, it means it's available on your new M1 Mac. Well, they've done... Is that right near the end? It, it was, well, they mentioned it several times. They kept, you know, they would introduce stuff and then later on say, and of course, all those features from iOS are now available in, you know, on your Mac. They, I think one of the things that will be remembered in the future about um, this WWDC is how much tighter they've pulled the integration between the devices. Because yeah. let's face it, you know, messages on the phone for a long time was streets ahead of what was available on the Mac. It wasn't until last year that the Mac got a whole host of features that were available on the iPhone in messages. So they didn't make a huge thing out of it, but they did mention it. And it's basically pretty much we're trying to make all of these apps feature comparable across the platforms. Um, yeah, and 
Yeah, and which makes sense because if it's all if they're all running the same chips, they're all running the same architecture uh, underneath. They're all running Swift, so it does show that things are moving ever so slightly forward with them. Um, you know, with Swift and UIKit and all the developer stuff. Um, yeah. Speeding through, what was I was just trying to think of the other features? Um, photos nah, didn't really do anything for me. The health stuff, any improvement is great. I'm looking forward to the next Apple Watch, though. Um, um, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I don't think probably got picked up by a lot of people. Some of the machine learning stuff about in in photos now allows yes, allows you yeah. to do things like, for example, take a picture of say a wildflower in your garden and ask Siri to tell you what it is in a kind of um, you know like a Shazam kind of thing, but for pictures. That's going to be interesting because obviously it's all kept on device. So you're only ever going to be limited to what what the machine has learned. So well, no, not, you're kind of not, to ev- bang not, down. not everything's on device. What they've done with Siri is said we've brought a lot more of it to your device. Stuff you know, if you do a a picture query, it's going to reach out to the you know to the internet and to um what what do they use as their back end? I think at one point they were using Wolfram Alpha for a... oh god yeah that's going back a bit. But anyway, not everything has been pulled to the edge to your device, but a lot of stuff has, which is another yeah. thing that probably didn't get picked up enough. Um, hopefully that's going to make a lot of improvements to using Siri for voice control because you know you and I have both got the same complaint I and mean, it's like boy s thing um you know set me a timer and it will just it's like working on it okay no i've set you a timer um if that's brought to your device you know more back to your device those things should be quicker and um you know for a long time i've said in the past for a long time i didn't no. turn siri on at all because i was still using the voice command uh you know the older voice command for the simple things yeah. like you know ring my wife or you know tell me the time or whatever hands free um i thought this year actually a lot of the most important things were things that almost got overlooked amongst all the um, fripperies and geegaws. Yeah, well, that, that always happens, isn't it? You have the WWDC, which is the 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 sort of the light, fluffy stuff for us mere consumers, and then as the week goes on, that's where all the really juicy stuff comes out to. Which I think we could lead on to one of your stories from this, is that if they are doing more, sending traffic backwards and forwards, one of the things that has been... Um, real real major interest is uh what is it here the apple relay is not a vpn now yes this is one of the things i was thinking about it's like what what's the black magic behind this simon so it's not a vpn so we won't so we won't be seeing the likes of nord and tunnel bear and proton vpn going away anytime soon but have you got an understanding of how it works because i've been trying to wrap my head around it and i'm not quite there yet yeah it's um it it does some VPN like things, and if you don't use a VPN, then that's great. You have to be aware of what it doesn't doesn't do. Um, it it basically um, it works by taking your IP address and your DNS request and forwarding it to basically an Apple proxy, which then uh, kind of re-encodes it with a kind of pseudo ip and hands it off to a second leg with the encryption key so that 
Apple know, or, well, Apple don't even really know that because it, but it goes from your device to one server where it's re-encrypted and forward to a second one. So part one knows where it comes from and where it wants to go. And part two knows where it got to go, but not where it comes from, if you, if, if that makes sense. Um, The article explains it much better than I can. Um, and it's uh, uh, so basically it's not gonna it's not gonna be the end of VPNs because not at all at the moment this just is this is just limited to Safari and I believe it's limited to Mail as well. So if you were tied into Apple's complete system, then Safari has just suddenly become a whole lot better. Um, in, at least in terms of privacy settings and all that sort of stuff. It's going to be interesting um, to see what happens with, t- with terms of speed and everything like that. What's going to happen? One or two people, uh, Dean from the Mac and Forth show, who's a developer, has been showing me one or two aspects of it that look really promising. I'm not going to say anything in case I've just really going to break an NDA, but it looks very, very promising. And it's, again, another feature to stop people tracking you. It's not going to be foolproof, and you can guarantee that the, the the marketing types are going to be working around it. But it sounds really interesting thing. When Tim came out, he said, "We believe that privacy is a fun, fundamental human right." There, yeah, damn Skippy, because I'm just absolutely fed up of going to websites. And I'll actually, if I want to skim through and find something quickly, I will spend more time going, nope, 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 don't want this, don't want that, opt out, opt out, rather than reading the blinking article. It won't solve that. You'll still have to go through, but it adds another layer of, of, of obscuse, oh, I can't even say it, obfuscation yeah. yes. to actually being able to track you, know, to track all of your habits. I mean, this... Um... So I'm wondering if that's why it sort of slightly opened up a little bit, because if they've got this way to have two-way traffic that isn't identifiable suddenly that might open up siri to be able to do a lot more if it's going to use that at all mm. well uh the link by the way is to cnet.com and it's called uh apple's privacy relay is not a vpn and it explains it uh in in much it tells you all the things it doesn't do that a vpn does do okay um so for example uh let's have a quick look here okay um a VPN, uh, your public IP is encrypted start to finish. On the VPN, yes. On private relay, it is not. Assigns you a new IP when you connect. VPN, yes. Private relay, yes. Outgoing data from your device is encrypted. VPN, yes. Private relay, no. You can overcome geolocation blocks and censorship to access your media. VPN, yes. Private relay, no. Your traffic blends in with everybody else's uh, via obfuscation. VPN, yes. Private relay, no. The point is that in this, they're using a two-part thing where your your you know your request is being sent to a proxy, which is then dealing with sending the encryption key and a, a new IP address to the second leg, which then hands it off to fetch your data and send it back. Um, so it's not a true VPN, but if you know if you're not using a VPN, it's a hell of a lot better than nothing. Let's put it that way. Um, and also, this is designed to work in conjunction with a VPN if you use one. So you're adding another layer. Um, uh, that's a bit I was wondering. Like, does it work if you're using a VPN? <clears throat> yes. Um, right. So. <clears throat> Uh, I'm trying to skim through where it says here, but um, okay. 
but I, I've I've read it definitely will work with your VPN. So you know it's not going to put people like Proton or Nord or Express or any of them out of business anytime soon. It's like many things that Apple do. It's designed to put some measure of protection up for those who are I don't know. I don't want to say the average user, but the less technically savvy people who I I I would go with that actually. I would go with the average user. It, it's you know a, a lot of the day the people that will walk into an Apple store or buy a Mac they're not all going to be you know the, the YouTubers of the world. They're not all going to be power users. I no. think that this is squarely aimed at people who go. Um, I just want to do work, and they're sort of aware of things, but they don't care about it. Yes. So, like many yeah, things that like Apple say, do, it's designed to help people who have no idea what a VPN is, or why they should use one, or you know, or the like. Exactly. Exactly. I think there are things in this private relay which are could have been perhaps more VPN-like, but at the same time, if you want it to be able to work with a VPN, I don't know how many things you can add without it conflicting with, a, you know, with a real VPN. So... I know, and, and it's typical Apple, isn't it? Apple always leave out something where you go, oh, I wish it did this, I wish it did that. That's just the the Apple way. It's, there's always the, oh, if only it did this, it would be perfect. But yes, a lot of good things. And that's, that's happening on both... Um, now, does that happen on both on iOS or on macOS as well? I, off the top of my head, I can't remember. Well, I believe it works on both. I'd have to check on that. This is another one of these things where Apple weren't always 100% clear, but it's an iCloud feature, so I'm pretty sure. Um... Yeah. And that, and, that, and that was Ed, so we can go on to that now. When the second he said iCloud Plus, I was thinking, I'm already paying you £20 a month. What? I was thinking, okay. This may be a feature I could be interested in, but it's going to either have to be A, very cheap, or B, bundled in of some sort of way. Like If you've got all these things or if you've got this tier, we'll give it to you automatically. But so when they said iCloud Plus, I was thinking, well, here we go. Here's another subscription. And it's not. It's just part of any paid iCloud plan. So you can get this private relay for about 79p a month. It's 70, if, if, right. It's 79p is the lowest level, which gives you 50 gig of data in iCloud, which was previously, you know, its only benefit. Pay 79p and you can have 50 gig of iCloud storage. Um, yeah. And I have to say that has tempted me for the first time. Ever since iCloud launched, I have still got by with their five gig of free storage. Um, that's partly because I'm not a photographer. I take bugger all photographs. I don't do videos. You know, I don't have a load of music on my phone. Um, basically, pretty much all that lives on there is, you know, my shared documents in the iCloud drive and my backup of my iPhone. So you can get by with the five gig if you, you know, if you are, I suppose, you know, I'm not a light user of iOS, but I don't do a lot of the things that people yeah. want a lot of iCloud backup for. So I might be tempted to get the seven, pay 79p just to get the extra features. Um, it It's not strictly free. I don't know why they didn't just have, roll it out to everybody. I guess at the very least, well, it, it, they, they think, it, it think a... of all the millions of people like me who are going to pay 79p 
you know, that's a three quarters oh, yeah. of a, you know, if you've got a million people who are like me using the five gig and they decide to pay 79p a month, then that's 0.8 of a million a month you've just made. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was just the fact they called it plus and plus you know, throughout time, it means you can have like, um, you know, like extra services or something like that. So to bundle, it, it's just, it's, it's a very weird thing to do i think that's just because they have come to add plus to almost anything now yeah it's become their branding for something a little better than the absolute basic um so well yeah so anything else in ios that we want to cover before we start well we've already delved into mac os monterey and as you've alluded to there are some features in monterey that are only going to be available on Oh, sorry. Hang on. Before we go to that, the what? It's another final surprise for iOS 15. It's going all the way back to the iPhone 6s. Yeah. No. That's if you can run. If you can run iOS 14, you can run iOS 15, which is one of a- Apple's, you know, big things. Yeah. Um, I think that's good. I'm sure. Oh, people, definitely. Be, yeah. You know, there will be people out there saying, "Oh, well, if you look at the list of features, you know, the six. This isn't coming to the 6s, and that isn't coming to the 6s." But the same as when I, you know, had a 2012 MacBook Pro. I mean, that made it all the way to Catalina and for a while was even on the Big Sur compatibility list. Now, by the end of the betas, it got dropped. And by then, I'd moved on to a, 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 a slight... There would probably be a way to hack it onto there, though, if you were so, if you were so inclined. Yeah, because it was it was on the betas. I don't know when they dropped it from the compatibility list, but it was sometime during the beta period. By then, by that point, I was I'd moved on to a twenty thirteen. Um, the twenty thirteen, you know, made Big Sur. However, Monterey, unlike iOS, has dropped a good couple of years worth of machines. You're going yeah, to need yeah. a machine of twenty fifteen or newer, basically. Um, and there's been quite a bit of uproar about that as well, hasn't there? Because it's I think that's one of the tightest headlines or expiry periods for hardware in general mm, when uh, uh, go back a few years and there was a point where they dropped about three or four years worth of max a few versions back yeah um because at that point i think it was i think it was about what might it might have been oh i can't remember um might have been mojave um there was one where quite a lot of machines didn't make the cut, where they went from, right, you know, up until then, a 2009 machine would make the cut. And I think it might have been Mojave, and they went, right, sorry, you're going to need a 2012 machine or newer. Yeah. Um, but you've got to think, you know, even now, if you say a 2050, you know, you've got to use a 2015 machine or newer, you're looking at six to seven-year-old machines. Yeah, it's it, it is that thing. You do have some sort of sympathy, you know. I mean, to give you an example, my daily driver for the last good, good, good few years has been a mid twenty eleven, uh, was it? Yeah, mid twenty eleven, twenty one inch iMac with an Intel dual core, eight gigs of RAM, spinning hard drive, and it's only because I've been fortunate enough to be able to upgrade that. I'm not using it anymore and I miss using it because I miss that screen. It is a still a competent computer just without all the features, but it's that thing of, it's a fine line for Apple to tread when they're integrating hardware so, so much that you feel compelled, like the Apple watch and lock, the continuity, the sidecar. It's a fine, fine line. 
But I think to get six years out of a machine, imagine you doing that on a Windows machine. Yeah. I, I've, we got brand new ones in work now where they're all, and, you know, after a couple of months usage, they're already starting to do the whole Windows you know, crafty thing. But this isn't Apple versus Windows. I know Windows has its place. I just prefer oh, Apple. Uh, I'll just skip forward at that point, by the way, as you mentioned Windows, and this is not a dig. Apparently, you should update, if you have a Windows 10 PC, you should update right now to protect it from six new zero-day flaws. And that was from uh, Boy Genius Reports, BGR. Um, that explains the mass updates we had in work the other day. Yes, update your Windows right now to protect from six new zero-day exploits. According to them, I haven't actually read into that. I've only read the headline, but there you go. Um... We are missing quite a few things. We're just trying to keep this sort of oh, well, yeah, brief. Just... Mac OS Monterey, uh, off the top of my head, without looking at the website, I can't remember anything other than, now what was it called, Universal Control. Now, Universal Control is a wow, wowie kind of um, demo feature, you know, where he drags his mouse across to his iPad and then he puts his laptop in between as well. Um it's I've a... got one complaint about that demo. Did you see how far he had to scroll that mouse? <laughs> that that there was was a trigger for me. Looks really really good. So the idea is, so what what it looked like, you have to have a Mac in the middle to control all this. It all then has to be initiated go... from a Mac. Yep. Right. Um, it's it's basically an extension of Sidecar. They're taking Sidecar and going, okay, what can we do? It, it's kind of taking Sidecar and a whole load of the handoff type features and magically making it appear that you have, you know, you have, you've taken control of all these machines from your master. Se- several that, years ago, like, um, by the way, several years very... ago, I had a, uh, I had used to have an app on my Macs called Teleport which did a very similar thing, which allowed you to have, if need be, you know, two or three Macs next to each other, separate. But you could then control them with one mouse. You could scroll across. You couldn't do drag and drop items between them because that wasn't that clever. But um... Well, that, that was the killer thing, wasn't it? To be working on a photo or an image, then to be able to drag it all the way across. So that... That makes me want to use my iPad again because I can do all the stuff with my pencil. Pardon the phrasing there. Then drag it across to the Mac, so it's not too hard to imagine. You could be doing a podcast, recording it on one device, working on the artwork, and then when you're done, just drag it across. Now, how fast and how responsive it's going to be, we we're looking to find out about that. But it does remind me of basically a lot of the remote control tools that are out there, like BombGuard, TeamViewer, which are somewhat limited but to be able well, they've done it the apple way haven't they they've made it incredibly fluid and hopefully incredibly easy i i think that's the point you know how how many people will use it in the real world i mean doing it across three macs how many people are act you know or sorry two you know a desktop a laptop and an ipad how many people are actually really going to want to do that but it's clear i think yeah i think it, it may actually inspire people to go oh okay that's a nice feature i'll go out and buy an ipad because there are, as you say, there are a lot of geeks out there. Um, what else was in Monterey that comes to the top of my head? You can now airplay to the Mac. Mm. So that's, that's, that'll work for me, because when I'm out living in my van in the week, 
Uh, I can be on my phone and I don't have to go, like, let's say I'm watching a YouTube video. I don't have to start watching on my phone, come out, go into YouTube on my Mac, go into history, start playing. I could just push it across that way. Again, that's a nice little enhancement. I thought you could do that before. And is that a feature that like existed and then went away and now has come back? Or am I just imagining that? I, I can't remember what I did last week, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> Um, we've also got the live text in photos, which again, that's incredibly, incredibly handy because you can not only can you, when you take a picture of something that's got text on it, like for example, the other day I went past a sign that had a concert on it and I forgot all about it. Then if I knew I could have searched because you've got to go for all your photos and take a lot of photos, then you just forget about it. You can actually do a spotlight search on Mac and on iOS to pick up what is in that picture. That is something I'm really looking forward to. That, of course, requires an M1 machine. Ah, yes. So, yeah. Ah, so this is one of the things where we're now seeing that little split, aren't we? Because the new Maps app and live text, they are all things that require the M1 Mac. And I'm in, is it something to don't think photos is as well, is it? Let me just go and have a look at the post. Which makes sense because the Intel machines don't have that there um neural the, processing the chip. Neural processing, so live text yeah. in photos, interactive globe, and are the, are only the two features that support it. Sorry, that's for that. Spatial audio uh will work on portrait mode in FaceTime on M1 Max only. And also, uh, what was it say? And also, finally, another exclusive M1 Mac only feature is the dictation on device dictation and any length dictation, which is previously limited one minute, is only available on the M1 iMac, which I'm guessing is all to do with neural engines and machine learning and all that sort of stuff. Yes, it is. It, you know, it, it's relying on the neural engine and the uh, thing. So, what have we got here? Um, so, it, it's. It it feels like a spit and polish release, which is sort of understandable given the year that we've had. Um, obviously, you've got AirPod updates, so you can have spatial audio. Um, I've tried um, spatial audio. I'll tell you what, by what the way, you... can't hear much of a difference. <laughs> one of the uh, one of the things that I did think was important and again possibly overlooked in amongst some of the other bigger announcements was the ability to use your airpods um was it the you know, talk to me feature was it um where you could you know your your airpods will use the beam forming technology to pick up the person who's talking to you and use again the kind of um ambient noise reduction to filter out surrounding conversation um so you know, if you're a little bit hard of hearing, you can use them not quite as an, as a hearing aid, but certainly to make life easier. I thought that was quite a big feature. Um, I believe there's quite some um, improvements coming to accessibility. Um, there's a lot. The, the truth about all of these releases this year is, I suspect there are a lot of little features. Um, yeah. So it, and that's because there was. When you look at the surface of it, 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 there's nothing truly groundbreaking. It's all iterations and improvements. And you've got to think that the pandemic has probably played its part on there. There's nothing, There's a. that's the thing. I think we all sometimes get trapped in the wanting that one big, you know, killer feature where 
what with Mac OS in the last few years, it's been the sum of the small parts. And I do have an idea in my head to go back a couple of WWDCs or announcements to see what the flagship marquee features were and to actually see, well, do I actually use any of them? Because it's all easy. It's all great to complain. Oh, there's nothing major here. But then when they do put stuff in, do I actually use it? So I might be doing that on a future YouTube video. I tell you two things, I think, again, that a lot of the things that interested me were not the things that they concentrated on. They were things that they mentioned. Um, they're talking about changing some of the progress bars to pie chart bars rather than... Um, oh, yes. That's cool. Particularly for yes. copying and such like. I mean, you already get that partly, and you certainly get it to some extent on um, iOS with pie chart type progress reporters. Whether that it was actually, you know, they're claiming it would make it easier to see sort of how long it's going to take. I'm not sure that's true. I think it's more of a visual thing to help bring the two closer together. One of the other things but that um, hardly got a mention, but this is the sort of thing that actually the finder has been missing for years. If you're doing a big copy operation from, you know, from one drive to another, you can't pause it, can you, on the Mac OS? You either have no. to cancel it or stick with it while it, you know, copies eight terabytes from one drive to another. You are now going to be able to pause a copy operation and resume it later. Doesn't seem like much, Mark. Doesn't seem like much, but I can assure oh, you. Oh, no, no, it is, though. It is, because, like, if you, you want to, yeah, if you want to just, because it can knack your system doing a copy like that. So the fact of being able to pause and move away, that's great. Yeah, um... But you are right. It's, it is lots of when you start digging into it and you get away from the actual glossy, fast presentation of it. I think there's actually more here than than meets the eye. So people who are complaining, it's like, well, wait, you know, wait a little bit. Let's see what comes out with it. Um, right. What else have we got in Monterey that rings a bell? For what it's worth. Um... The Titbits article, you, I've got a Titbits article here, which says the real system requirements for Apple's 2021 operating systems, which gives you a breakdown here of the supported machines and what chips they run and um, what features require which chip level. So, for example, you require an A12 Bionic or later for spatial audio, portrait mode in FaceTime, all new city experience, live text in camera, visual lookup in photos, Siri on-device processing, um, on-device dictation, continuous dictation, animated backgrounds in the iOS 15 weather app. Ooh, wow. So it's basically everything up from the iPhone X. So the iPhone XR, XS, XS Max, the iPhone 11, the SE, second edition, and the iPhone 12. Yep. Um... Uh, other features with specific system requirement. Uh, car key and home key require an XS or later. Walking steadiness iPhone 8 or later. Uh, zoom in quick time, quick take photos. XR, XS, XS Max or later. 5G enhanced connectivity iPhone 12 models. iPad Pro 5th generation and up. Or the iPro Pad Pro 11 inch third generation and up. Um, it's a good article. It really does break down what is compatible with all of the new features. So we've got a link to that in the show notes that hopefully yep. you can go and have a look at. Uh, right. Um, what I'll else you, are we going to skip on from Monterey? Uh, I, something which is 
actually germane to all of Apple's products. And that is, of course, something, again, which hardly got a mention, which is account recovery trusted accounts and digital legacy. Ah, yes. Something which we have mentioned on this show before. Um, that's, That's going to be very, very big. Surprisingly big, I think. You know, it almost seems like a throwaway thing, but you can, you know, nominate effectively a digital trustee, if you like, or, you know, who, after you pass away, will be able to contact Apple and after proving that you are indeed dead and that they are who they say they are, will be given access to your iCloud account. Um, Doesn't give them access to everything, by the way. Doesn't give them access, for example, to your keychain, but it does give them access to... You know, because we've all heard these heartbreaking stories where somebody's died tragically and their family have asked Apple, you know, please give us access to their account. And they're saying we can't. No way we can do it. Um, So that's that, you know, that's a good step. Seems like a small thing. But and also account recovery, because, you know, people do manage to lock themselves out of their iCloud account. And um, it can actually be really quite difficult to get Apple to let you back in. Um, and this is a big thing. You know, you can have a trusted family member or friend who can receive the verification codes on your behalf and then allow you to regain yeah. access to your machine. Um, and I know that, a lot yeah. of us might think, oh, well, you know, quite often your account recovery will go, go to another Apple device which you own, which is still logged in, and you'll be granted access. But, of course, not everybody has, you know, an iPhone and an iPad and a, and a Mac and all these other things you know some people just have an iphone and if they're relatively casual users you know like my parents don't get me wrong they have an icloud account but they don't know how to log into it they set it up and forgot about it long ago you know yeah yeah i mean that that is again it's what that was the way they introduced that with the guy in the middle of the park in the middle of a field was a bit weird but it was it felt a little shoehorned in with the rest of the presentation but Mm. again a welcome addition as of all these things right so what have we got left to cover um where do you want to go next in our list of stories that that, Um, that we've got here do we just um Obviously, I've got a whole load of links for the. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna chapterize this uh, this edition because it's you know we're just picking out things that have appeared to us. So I've got things like the ten coolest new features introduced at WWDC on Titbits. Um, Apple tells accessory makers how to make things work using iPhone's uh, U1 chip, which is on iMore, which effectively is you know them opening up the the Find My architecture to third parties. Um, TV OS 15 will let you sign into apps using Face ID on your phone. From oh, loving that. That's going although to be good. It, although I, I keep looking in the app store for anything that catches my eye on the old TV OS and using my Apple TV for something more than just being a very expensive YouTube and Netflix box. And I don't know, I just, I just haven't sunk my teeth into it. No, but I do have a PS5 controller that I'm going to be trying out very shortly with it to see if that stimulates anything. But are you going to yeah. uh, are you going to do a video about that, then, Mark? Ah, uh, yes, of course. I have so many videos lined up. It's just I've just got a bit overwhelmed with it. But I've started. I've started the script writing process. Jolly good, jolly good. Uh, well, what else? What else shall we just mention then? Um, uh, well, Mac OS Monterey will now allow you to erase a Mac without needing to do a reinstall. Um, 
it, as in erase all uh, settings and data. So basically that's, go straight that's back. Actually more handy, that's more handy than you think, that feature. Because if you want to sell your Mac, it makes it easier. But for someone like myself, I, I downloaded DaVinci Resolve, completely cocked up where I stored all the videos and folders and stuff like that. And because I'm predominantly working cloud-based, the fact that I can just easily wipe it and reset it, that's actually quite a nice little feature, that. Well, effectively, instead instead of previously, you would have had to do a, a full wipe and reinstall the OS. Um, you Because of the way Big Sur and obviously Monterey, that the system is effectively an image. You can't write to it, you know, and when you're running it, it's actually an image of that fixed, secure um, information on the SSD. You don't actually directly work from the, from the system anyway. Um, they've, they've been introducing a feature, basically the same as on iOS, where you can say, reset this to factory, um, you know, OS, yeah. to just clear all your stuff without you having to wipe the whole disk and then reinstall yeah, it the OS. It basically, doesn't it? Just, yeah. It just bangs the fresh image back on the top, which is very much a Windows-style thing. So, But I'm sure it's a lot, lot more technical than that. Well, I think how it works um, is effectively what it does is it says that, you know, that the, uh, the OS is actually fixed and written on this, you know, unwritable partition. And so basically throw away everything else and you're back to a clean system in the simply in the time it takes you to switch off the encryption effectively for yeah. all, everything else. Um, should we should we talk about iPad OS quickly? Uh, um, yes, I think this was the year that people were salivating the most to finally see air quotes power features coming to the iPad because it's got. The same processor as the rested line of Macs. It's got an awesome screen. It's got the pencil support. But yes, there's been some refinement to it. But I could see a lot of people being disappointed because we're at that stage still where we just haven't got those pro pro apps, as I think they're going to be called now, that will utilize things. And of course, every year you get a speed bump and things run 50% faster. That's great. But they're running a faster and you can sometimes argue more simplified version of a lot of apps than their full featured brethren on a MacBook Air. I was all I was a bit panicky by my MacBook Air because I was thinking if Apple do the unthinkable and loosen it up and we get maybe a final cut style version or logic or video editing or graphics editing. I know like if you're a graphic artist you were set on an iPad. I thought if they open it up so you can do more things with audio over USB-C, like you'd say you could actually do the favor of podcasting uh, on an iPad, quite why Apple don't ex- don't acknowledge podcasting as could be done on an iPad just boggles the mind. And I was, all this is running through my head, and I thought, nope, I'm going to take the plunge by a MacBook Air, and I'm so glad that once again I didn't wait for the old, well, let's see what happens at DubDub. The improvements are great, but you just think, well, you've got all this power, but what's really going to harness it? Does that make sense? Yes. I think part of the problem there was people were projecting, based on the M1, that there were going to be radical changes. And you've got to remember that M1 only, you know, only sits in the iPad Pros. 
Um, yeah, yes, I see where you're going to go here, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have said, oh, well, you know, you can get 16 gig of RAM in this M1 MacBook Pro, uh, iPad Pro, but the apps are limited to 5 gig apiece. Well, I'm pretty sure that the the reason for that is you don't want apps being built that are designed to take 8, 10, 12 gig of RAM when all the other iPads, would that would just not run it. Well, it's, it's that, and it doesn't have the ability to have a swap file. So I guess with the iPad Pro range, you are sort of limited by the history of the iPad, but then you can buy iPads, and one of them has got more RAM than the other, which you could safely assume it will be used by the OS to drive the screen. So, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from on that, but it does make you wonder... I, I... I think people were just jumping the gun. I think one of the reasons that Apple have put the M1 in the iPad Pros is because it sounds good. And the other one is it simplifies their production line. If you're making one chip instead of five, that's got to be good for you. You know, not necessarily. Yeah, they're they're taking the M1 and they're saying, right, well, we've got this chip and it does all this stuff. So if we put that in the... uh, iPad Pro, we don't need to make a, you know, a, I, uh, an A15 Mega Fusion yeah. or, so, you know, Super so with that in mind, or something. Then, so with that in mind, do you see the M1 chip coming to the next iPhone? Do we, has, it, has it got enough juice in that battery to say, to be able to power the M1? That I'm not sure of, but I could see in time, over the next few years, the iPad range progressing to M series chips. Now, I mean, originally, we, you know, when they said they were going to go to Apple Silicon, we all said, some of us said, I think they're going to call it the M1. And I, I think it was, was it Weihan said to us, well, M1 is already a, a chip name, but they took it anyway because, and we all said, oh, well, yeah, M for Macintosh, that makes sense. Now they've put it into an iPad. But I could see that over the next few years, that M chip making its way from the Pro to the Air, probably when the net, you know, when they, bring out and uh, some iPad Pros that are on, you know, M1X, and I can see the yeah. Air getting the M1, and then eventually you can see it's making its way even down to the basic iPad, um, probably only available in the 8-gig version. But say, you know, then you'd have a iPad M1, iPad Air, M1X, let's say, iPad Pro, M2. When you get to that stage, then I think you can start talking about doing these much more um, powerful things that a lot of people, I think, were wish fulfillment projecting onto, oh, it's it's coming this year. Um, I was not expecting, um, you know, some of the things that people were positing. I just wasn't. I'm not an well, iPad well, you, user. You mean so... all, the, all the people that sold their MacBooks and everything like that because they thought they were going to get a hardware release some sort of just six months after everything had just been released? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I said I didn't think... Uh, it's no doubt that, you know, the the, the bigger MacBook Pros and uh, the bigger iMac and whatnot are coming, but I suspect they're going to come in the fall, you know? Oh, yeah, because I, I didn't believe they were going to do uh, like a hardware spec bump update because what other chip manufacturer would? You don't you wouldn't see Intel releasing a brand spanking new chip and then obsoleting it. Not not obsoleting it, but you know, sort of releasing a new one sort of straight away, you know, sort of six months down the line. So I thought anyone who thought that was happening was a bit sort of caught up in the, the John Prosser hype. Yeah, I, I think to be so. honest. I it's I was saying, um, I don't know who I was chatting to the other day, like my ultimate machine 
would be the iPad running Mac OS so I can have all that power and then I could stick it onto the magic keyboard and I've got all that extra convenience. That to me would have been my perfect setup. Well, I mean, I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm sort of glad that they've put the features in for universal control because it means I will sort of dig out the uh, the iPad again. But uh, it's great we've got all this power. It's just you, you sort of get to a point and go, this is brilliant, but why without wanting to be sort of how do I how do I sum up? But why? Well, yes, I it's think, great. I but mean, where I, are the apps for it? Well, yeah, and that's that's still something that and. Have you noticed though over the last few um over the last few events how much their um their presentations feature affinity photo luma fusion yep. and ferrite and maybe uh an adobe app here or there or and the lightroom app yep now you said that thinking back yeah i mean ashley ashley Houston must be absolutely loving it because pretty much every apple uh, event now affinity get a get a you know get a mention um yeah and it can't be doing luma fusion any harm either um and ferrite got a mention you know uh, i i'm really wondering if apple are pushing that partly because you know these are really good apps and they're available and partly to avoid you know some of this monopoly scrutiny because they can say well we've made this hardware you know how can you say we don't compete look you know here's affinity here's luma fusion here's um you know here's ferrite we don't even compete with these products we don't have anything in that space to compete with them you know one thing they didn't have in this uh demo uh sorry about wwdc didn't mention much about gaming did they because normally they like to say our oh, games run 30 percent faster or 50 percent mm. faster i don't recall there being I, any sort of nice about gaming I think that's probably because they made that that push in November with the M1s. I think they, you know, and this was pretty crowded. They had a lot of stuff to do. I don't think yeah. they really felt they needed to push that again. The M1 has had enough headlines about how stunningly good it is that I don't think they needed to make that point again. Um, it, it does make you think, like, how hard would it be to open up something to be able to do podcasting in some sort of way. And I'm, I'm guessing that's a niche issue, but it's, it's one of the things you hear a lot from you know people in our sort of tech circles is that they wish they could just do that little bit more with it. <coughs> yeah. But um, sorry, go on. I just can say, I, I think the, the problem is that people like you and me and the echo chamber and the people who shout on Twitter and, you know, write blogs and do YouTube channels forget sometimes that we are a very small segment of the overall market. Apple shift, you know, millions upon millions upon millions of phones and iPads and laptops and even desktops to people who really don't give a flying monkeys about any of that. They want to turn it on and open Word or Numbers or, you know, a photo app or Facebook or whatever it is and just do their thing. Um, and yeah, sure. yeah, it does have its marketplace. I suppose we all come at it like a point like you you get an estate car, I suppose, to bring that analogy up. And you buy it because you never know. You never know if you're going to need to move a sofa. And it's like that with the iPad. You know it could do it, but then my analogies could just fall in completely apart <laughs> as I was going into yeah, it. Moving on, moving, moving on. on. I, I think um, 
you know, was it somebody the other day said um, at the moment the M1 iPad Pro is like a Ferrari with no tires. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's looking yeah. lovely, but it you know it's going nowhere. Um, that's not really true, but I, I kind of got the drift they were coming yeah. from. Um, one other thing, I, I just sprung into my mind. Um, the the share with me thing, you know, uh, watch with me, listen with me. Um, yeah. Apparently, if you you know have a, a joint FaceTime call and then you wish to initiate this, if one of the people who's on the you know on the call does not have say Apple Music or you know Apple TV Plus or Disney Plus or whatever it is that you're trying to share from, they will effectively get a page which says this content comes from Apple TV Plus. Would you like to subscribe? Well, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, that's yeah. inevitable well, don't yeah we well, that was that was the obvious thing and we're i'm sort of i'm trying not to be cynical with apple but it does make sense but they know they're going to get some revenue from that i i think I, i'm pretty sure um that's probably down to copyright issues and oh yeah yeah the, you know um because I think you know, I'm a bit cynical with some, Tim somebody. Subscri- somebody said, you know, somebody said on a podcast I was listening to. Well, you know, in the before times, you could have six mates round, right, and watch the same film in your, you know, in your living room while you had a few beers, and only one of you's got to have that subscription. The person who's hosting the, you know, the the movie night. Yeah. Um. And I understand what they're saying, but of course the content IP holders don't see it that way. If you're going to show it across multiple devices in multiple locations, they're going to want their pound of flesh. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just common sense. It's a nice little revenue driver as well on the side, but understandably so. Yes. Um, So there we go. Um, I've got a couple of other little things I'm going to bring up which are nothing to do with WWDC. Um, we're we're going to skip over watch and uh, yeah, we, we we probably do that next week and next week's show. So yeah. yeah. So what what are we what are we rounding off with? Uh, okay. Well, uh, I've got one from Steve here. Is old OS the new OS? Which is um, an amusing little um, piece from uh, from Steve um, over at Geeks Corner. Uh, somebody has modelled iOS 4 in its entirety in an app, which you can now download for your iOS device and revel in the glories of iOS 4. Uh, you know, <laughs> that just amused me. Um, sort of thing people do, like those, you know, like re-experience Mac OS 6, you know, in a yeah. on an SE uh, on the web, those sort of things. Uh, that just amused me. Um is one here from Forbes, which I know is not your, uh, you know, favourite uh, publication, Mark. Apple's M1 processor has a bug baked in, but is it serious? And um, this was um, by Brooke Crothers, apparently. Uh, apparently, uh, uh, there is a bug in the design of the Apple Silicon M1 processor, which is baked in. The bug allows two applications running an o- under an OS to covertly exchange data between them. The report was authored by Hector Martin, um, who goes on to say that the vulnerability is baked in and cannot be fixed without a new silicon version. I asked Martin how serious this bug is on a scale of 1 to 10. He says it's a 2 because it has no impact on normal operating software. Um, apparently he disclosed it to Apple and then it says, should you be worried? Um, 
The short answer to that is no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mac OS users, at least from uh, version 11 onwards, may be affected. Uh, can malware use this vulnerability to take over your computer? No, it cannot. Can malware use this vulnerability to steal your private in- information? No, it cannot. So what is the danger? If you have malware on your computer, that malware can communicate with other malware on your computer in an unexpected way. Chances are, however, it can already communicate in plenty of unexpected ways anyway. (laughs) Um, Is this dangerous? Really, nobody is going to find a nefarious use for this flaw in any practical circumstance. There are already a million side channels you can use on any system. Covert channels can't leak data from uncooperative apps or systems. This is worth repeating. Covert channels are completely useless unless your chat system has already been compromised. Um, if Martin hadn't uncovered this bug and written about it, you would not know about it and be blissfully unaware, just like the errata you've never heard about for any other chip. <laughs> Uh, Here we go. Executive summary. A flaw in the design of the M1 chip allows two applications running under the OS to covertly exchange data between them without using memory sockets, files or normal operating system features. Uh, This works between processors running as different users and different privileges, creating a covert channel for surreptitious data exchange. But effectively, it's just one of those things which apparently is no use to anybody unless you are already compromised. So there you go. Um, just to, you know, be even-handed, right. having, yeah. you know, mentioned uh, poor old Windows and their zero days. Um, and I think that's probably pretty much it. Oh, I know. Um, another one I was going to say. Amazon is about to share your internet connection with your neighbours, and here's how to turn it off on the Washington Post. Um, that's only for people in America, though, isn't it? It's the whole a, sidewalk thing. Yes, it's the whole sidewalk thing, and it's in America, and people keep shouting about it as Amazon is about to share your internet with your neighbours. No, they are not. They are not. This thing is uh, limited to uh, an unused uh, radio spectrum that's used by is available in various echo type devices ring doorbells and so on um it's limited to 80 kilobits per second and capped at a maximum of 500 megabytes per month um and it works in effect in a similar way something like uh, you know like an air tag or uh, um various other sorts of trackers or um you know the iphone uh, ad hoc device to device network it's main point is supposed to be that if your say your ring doorbell you know wants to send you a message to your phone to say someone is ringing at your door and your internet is down it can use these side channels to reach out and see if it can find another compatible device within range that can pick that information up and relay it so you know if i'm on you know if i'm on um let's say if i'm using bt to host my ip you know my internet and it goes down and i'm out of the house and somebody rings my ring doorbell i don't have one and i wouldn't but that's another matter um and it needs to send that to my phone it could reach out to next door neighbor and if they have a compatible device say please relay that this using a little tiny bit of your broadband it's basically it's mesh networking isn't it basically but it's a, a very a small more... it's a very small mesh networking it's very limited nobody's going to stream their netflix right through through their echo you you no. know poncing off your poncing off your thing 
it, if anything, it's a much more limited version. Who remembers BT Fon here in the UK? Oh yes, the 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 thing where if you were you could use it anywhere, isn't it? Where if you saw a BT hub or hotspot or no, it's BT hub, you could connect to it and then you could buy uh, no. data access. Through no, points, no, the, the, the original thing was that if you were a BT user and opted to, you could turn on uh, BT Fon on your home hub, and that meant that any BT user uh, who was in range of your wi-fi if you'd allowed it could use that and there was a little side channel you know that bt had set aside that um like a like a guest network and you could turn it on and the idea was that then you know as a bt mobile user as, as long as you were near a house or a BT home hub that had it turned on, you would be able to get access to the internet, but you would be effectively yeah. poncing a little bit of somebody else's broadband. Um, this is like that, only, you know, it's 80 kilobits a second. What are you going to get across an 80 kilobits a second thing? You know, it's a, a bit of text, a, a low-res little thumbnail. You know? Yeah, so it's basically what he's saying is, it's basically just very limited, um, very, it's just, just incredibly limited. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, it, it is using your internet, but not in the way everybody's making it, you know. And it's not going to count against your allowance either. It's, I'm sure they will have a way of like saying, well, no, you, this isn't going against your, you know, not that it would make much of a dent in it, but yes, it would just be, it wouldn't be counted as your stuff. Um, Anything else? Is there anything else that we need to go through? I think we've covered Don't think so. most of um, the quick talking points. Uh, Apple are going to temporarily expand cloud storage in iOS 15 for backing up data when you transfer to a new device, which is interesting. So handy for setting up those phones to have a little bit of, um, yeah, it gives you a little bit more space when you're setting up your phone. Uh, was it for three days, was it, or something like that? I um, don't know. I haven't actually looked into it. Um, but basically, yes, that you know, when you do a setup, they will, I guess, not cap you. What does it say? If you are low on iCloud storage but want to buy a new device and transfer your data, Apple will make this process easier in iOS 15 with a temporary storage boost. Uh, it will grant you as much storage as you need to complete a temporary backup for up to three weeks letting users transfer apps, data, and settings to a new device using iCloud, even if they have an inadequate amount of iCloud storage. And that's, again, that's a lovely little feature there to help people move over to the iPhone. So that's, again, lots of things of WWDC. It's the sum of the parts which makes up the bigger thing, isn't it, in general? I, I think so. I think these are going to be solid. Oh, I'm going. To, I'm just going to bring this one up. The only thing I was not sure about and maybe wince a bit was the new Safari. I don't like the kind of thing with the toolbar going super transparent, depending on the color of the website you go to. And I'm not sure about crunching all the tabs up next to your um, search and address bar. But I'll have to use it in anger to find out what I really think about it. <laughs> But I mean, um, the, the the big hint, if you want more screen real estate, is move your taskbar to the left, and then you've got all that space anyway. So you could just move taskbar to the left, make your browser a bit bigger, everything's solved. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not sure about that. Um, I'm not a big fan of you know transparent header bars and and things. Um, we shall see. You know, in real life, um, I'm going to have to wait a while. I suspect because. I don't think I'm going to be going on the Monterey beta trail this time because 
unlike previously now having M1, um, being in a situation to boot from an external drive to run, say, Big Sur, whilst my laptop is running itself on uh, Monterey Beta is going to be rather more difficult than in the past. So I might not be going down the Monterey Beta Trail, um, unlike previously. Uh, unless, um, of course, unless, of course, Paul Cafarsis tells me that because of the changes in, uh, you know, between Big Sur and uh, Monterey and the changes they had to make to, uh, you know, get the Rogue Amoeba stuff working on Big Sur, that that's yeah. no longer going to be an issue and that, you know, you'll be able to continue to use your Rogue Amoeba maps on, on Monterey. But I'll have to wait for Paul to tell us what that's all about. If the Rogue Amoeba map apps won't work on the, you know, Monterey Beta, then I won't be going on to the Monterey Beta. That's as simple as that. And I think that covers it up. We haven't got into health. We haven't got into Apple Watch, but I think we can probably do that on the next show when we've probably got a bit more information and we're sort of dealing with all the the stuff that's coming out about WWDC as it does. And one sort of starts to settle down and release more information about it. Well, of course, uh, and that, you know, people get their hands on the betas. Um, public betas will coming out in July, I believe. But obviously, developers have already got their hands on betas, which is where all, you know, all the all the chatter on the blogs is about at the moment. Um, so, yeah, more time to digest, I guess. Um, so I saw some nice things in health, but, yeah, no, not really time to go into them now. I think we've done long enough. Yeah. Right, in that case then, I'm going to go crack open a beer. Take us out of it, Simon. All right, uh, this is the wrap-up. So, Mark, tell people where they can find all your stuff. Uh, at the moment, I'm a little bit sort of not doing anything. So if you want to get hold of me, you can do on the Twitter at Ocean Speed. But I have got some projects coming up soon. Um, I'm very, um, I've got a project coming up where I'm trying to replace my home broadband, which is a bit of a unique setup with a 5G SIM card and modem, although the modem isn't 5G, but it's a portable modem. Anyway, it will make more sense on the video. Uh, that's basically it for me. Simon, what about yourself? Uh, well, as you all know, hopefully you can find me on the Twitter as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. The show tweets as at Essential Apple. All of our stuff is over at EssentialApple.com. Um, Patreon links uh, are on the um, on the site. There's a, an Amazon button you can use, which might or might not actually give us some money, um, which would all be very nice. Uh, and, of course, thank you for all the people who support us simply by retweeting us or, you know, battering their friends until they give in and listen. Uh, and until next week, I think we'll call that a show, shall we, Mark? So, uh, yeah, let's get out of here. I'm going to go and get myself a Sunday lunch. I don't blame you. It's goodbye from me. And ta from me. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. 
This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Shots and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I forgot. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Some people like their live casts to be informative, to the point, provocative, and timely. The Mac to the Future live cast is some of those things, but we won't say which ones. Join Dave Ginsberg, Guy Searle, and Warren Sklar for a weekly dose of Apple Fun every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time over on Facebook or in the Mac to the Future Facebook group. Until then, goodbye. Yeah.